Hey, it's Angela Yee from Way Up with Angela Yee. Imagine swapping your car keys for a chance to move your body, better mental health, connecting with your community, and creating memories without spending money. Join me and embrace nature's pace by taking a walk, hike, or a bike ride with Rails to Trails Conservancy, because our time on the trail is so much more than a day outside. Get ideas for getting outside at reelstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Way up. What's up? It's Way Up with Angela Yee. I'm Angela Yee, and I'm excited to have Senator Kevin Parker here with us today. Hello, Senator. <laughs> How you doing, Angela? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I'm glad that you're here today because there's so many things for me as a New Yorker and a Brooklyn mm-hmm. person uh, that we need to discuss. You know, it is an election year uh, for many people. What does that mean for you right now? Are you? Yeah, we have a Democratic primary happening okay. um, across the state of New York on Tuesday, June 25th. Okay. Um, so everybody in the state legislature, both the members of the Assembly and members of the Senate, like myself, um, and members of Congress uh, have their Democratic primaries on June 25th and then the general election in November. OK, so that's why we always tell people it is important to vote yes. in all of these elections. Yes. You know, um, you've been in a Senate. You've been a senator for how long now? Only 21 years. 21 years. <laughs> that is yeah. amazing. Yeah, thank you. And I'm um, even just following your trajectory. First of all, I definitely see all the work that you do in the community. I've been at several of the events that you've had. But now there are some major issues and major things happening that definitely have to be addressed. And I want to hear from you because I speak to people offline all the time about this. But right now in New York in particular, everything that's been happening with the migrants that we have mm-hmm. here, um, you know, they are these are human beings. And so we have to mm-hmm. make sure that we're not being inhumane. But then there are New Yorkers who are feeling like there are a lot of resources that are going there that people in New York could need that are residents uh, from here that they're not being able to get. And so I just want you to clarify some things because right. sometimes people feel like, why are we overlooking our own and making sure that people who aren't from here, who are here temporarily, are getting more resources than New Yorkers are? No, absolutely. Well, first of all, let me begin by saying as another Brooklynite, how proud Brooklyn is of you mm. and all you're doing both with your broadcast career as well as the businesses that you're that you're establishing uh, right in the community. And I think everybody is just thrilled about that because we like to see people come home and you haven't forgotten where you came from. Um, but we're very proud of you. Thank you. Um, uh, the other thing is, um, you know, people should know like where I represent. So I represent Flatbush and East mm-hmm. Flatbush, Midwood, Ditmas Park, um, part of Canarsie, part of Flatlands, Mill Basin, Marine Park and Bergen Beach. Right. So 
from like Church Avenue all the way down to mm-hmm. King's Plaza. Where I'm from, know. by the yes, way. Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, and I'm the chairman of the Energy and Telecommunications Committee in the New York State Senate, as well mm-hmm. as the Majority Whip. Um, and so there's a lot of issues that we deal with and a lot of you know competing priorities. And obviously, the migrant crisis is one ha- that has hit all of us very, very hard. Um, the first thing to know is that this is not a crisis that w- this is kind of an organic crisis. This was a crisis that was created by Republican governors in Florida, you know, Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott in Texas, who have il- essentially illegally been putting these human beings on buses and shipping them to cities, mostly New York, Democratic cities primarily, mm-hmm. right? New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, D.C., um, they've even been dropping people off like in front of Kamala Harris's yes, house. Yes, I remember that. Right, so, so p- human beings are being used as pawns. As pawns, as political footballs, mm-hmm. right? And it's just really, um, it, it's, it's horrible. But New York is not going to, you know, turn its back on people, right? Neither mm-hmm. the city or the state. And so, um, we set the folks in, and we're just trying to figure out resources. There are a lot of things in place that makes it difficult. Um, we have laws in place that says that when somebody comes in, you can't put them to work for six months, right? right? Um, a lot of these folks are, you know, um, in status, but d- are not, you know, are not on a path to citizenship or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to figure out resources for them and space for them is a problem. And to be honest with you and transparent, the state needs to do more. There's right. more space in the state than there is in the city of yes, New York. Yes, I, I always think that too, because yeah. whenever I'm driving upstate, I'm like, but you know, everybody's always like, not in my backyard. Right. Correct. That, mm-hmm. that, that issue, what we call NIMBY, yeah. not, not, and not in my backyard, yeah. is always a, a big a big issue. But we should, people should be very clear is that um, we have, in New York State and in New York City, the third and fourth largest budgets in the entire country, right? The largest budget, of course, is the, the federal government's budget at, at you know, over $11 trillion, literally. And then um, the state of California, then the state of New York, right? Our enacted budget this year for 24 23-24 is $229 billion, mm. right? If we were our own country, we'd be the 29th, sorry, we'd be the 12th largest economy in the entire world. Wow. Right? And then when you look at the state of New York, uh, sorry, the city of New York is the fourth largest budget, right? So the third largest budget after the federal government and the state of California is the state of New York, mm-hmm. even though the state of New York has the fourth largest population after California, Texas, Florida, and then New York. Right. 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 But we still have the third largest budget. And then you look at um, New York City, we have a budget here that's over $100 billion that's larger than the state of Texas and Florida, mm-hmm. right? And so there, there is money, right? right. Um, and there are resources. And if you look at what the mayor has done, you know, there were a lot of problems with crime when he first started mm-hmm. two years ago. There was a lot of, you know, issues around people with mental health issues on the street, people being menaced on the train. If, if anybody rides the trains, they know yeah. that the trains are much improved. We're not perfect yet, but we you know we're moving. And in we're the right going to need to make sure those trains are right because when that congestion pricing kicks in, but we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> but go ahead, Senator. Yeah, but 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 <laughs> we're, we're trending in the right in the right um, um, direction. We have not nearly gotten the kind of resources that we'd hoped for mm-hmm. from the federal government, and I think the state has not been as responsive as it needs to be. And certainly those are conversations that many legislators are having with the governor about finding space because there's plenty of space um, upstate New York. 
right? We're not talking about Long Island. We're talking about like really, really upstate, yeah. count, you know, Green County, Columbia County, some of these counties, Chahuga, some of these counties y'all never heard of. Yeah. They got like 5,000 people in them, literally, right? Um, you know, you can put people in this in the town that, that the governor is from, Buffalo, <laughs> right? Buffalo is a city that was built for 600,000 people that has less than 300,000 people living oh, wow. in it. So okay. there's space there. And it has the kind of legal and um, legal infrastructure that you need in order to bring people to um, their immigration issues, right? Because it's a border city, mm-hmm. right? It's right off the, it's right off Canada, right? right. And so you know, there's a lot more I think that can be done, that should be done. Um, but I think we have been, um, we've done a great deal with what we've had uh, to this point. Um, but let be very clear that we've walked and chewed gum at the same time, mm-hmm. right? Because simultaneously we have been dealing with the mental health crisis. Right. We have been dealing with the issues around you know, affordable housing. Affordable housing is, and, and we're not nearly done, um, but we are addressing those issues. And so, um, you know, people should reach out to the legislators and really understand the facts, right? Because I know that they see and they say, oh, that's, you know, money could be used here, money could be used there. And, and, that's somewhat true, but not always true. Because right. Have- That's why I want to make sure you can put some clarity to yeah. that. Because I see a lot of people, you know, enraged, but maybe they're not understanding how the system um, works. And the- Right. Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, the mayor has done, again, a great job at, like, now we're doing conversions being that more people are not in Midtown Manhattan as right. much anymore. Right, making sure but, that there can be zoned for that, Right, and, and, and so what they're doing is they sped up the process to convert commercial buildings into residential buildings. And so that'll be coming in online very quickly. And people who are in shelters, we're not talking about migrants, we're talking about New Yorkers who are currently in shelters, will soon be able to get permanent housing in that in in that new housing that's going on. So up. do you feel like that doesn't get discussed? It as, doesn't. Not yeah. nearly not nearly as much Why as it should. Why do you think that is? Is that Because they you know there's an African proverb that says that a lie goes around the world twice before the, the truth gets out of bed. Okay. Right? And and it's sexier for for people to think that they're they're being uh, cheated in some way. Oftentimes people are using this stuff as scapegoats. But be clear um, that the state of New York and the city of New York is working very hard on behalf of the people who have been living here um, and simultaneously trying to make sure that there's a humane response um, to migrants and other people who, who come to our city. You know, as we talk about elections, I want to ask you your mm-hmm. thoughts on when uh, Kath, Gav, Governor Kathy Hochul was mm-hmm. running against Lee Zeldin mm-hmm. and it felt like it was way closer than we would have anticipated yes. in the state of New York. What do you think? Um, happen there and what are your thoughts about moving forward because sometimes I feel like we can be really discouraged to even go out and vote and make sure that people are registered to vote but um, we take it for granted in New York I think that people always feel like New York is liberal New York is democratic Mm -hmm. well first thing I think that people have to stop looking at politics as an event and look Mm -hmm. at it as a process and not just show up on election day right people have to um, get involved in their community boards right I think people should start where they are if you live in an apartment you should be involved with your um, tenant association, if you live in a house in your block association or civic association, um, if you're involved with a church, mosque, synagogue, temple, that you should find a ministry that speaks to you and get engaged there. Um, you know, get involved with your community board or the precinct council mm-hmm. or, or on, the, on the board of a nonprofit organization that's serving your community. Those are all ways to be engaged in, in the process, right? And I think that that's where we really need to begin with. Um, and I think there was a good democratic process in small d democratic process in the context of the last election. And I think that you're right um, when you look statewide. Um, you know, there are both Democrats, Republicans, but there's a lot of, you know, what we call, um, you know, blanks, where people who are not, you know, signed up in either party, mm-hmm. right? And I think that the 
the governor was the former lieutenant governor. Mm -hmm. A lot of people didn't know her. I think that she, you know I'm a again I'm gonna keep it I'm gonna keep it a buck as we say in Brooklyn. Please, yes. And she frankly didn't make it out into our communities in the way that she should have during the period that she was running. Mm -hmm. And I think people need to understand that you know Matt, the most of the votes in the state of New York, particularly Democratic votes, are in the city of New York. Right. And the base of the Democratic Party are Black and Latino women. And unless you're coming to the place and coming to our churches and coming to our communities and talking to those people directly, they're not going to just come out and throw their votes after you. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, you know, African-Americans in particular are tired of being used as a political booty call. And, you know, <laughs> and just coming to us the last week, you know, when you behind is, is no longer sufficient. And, you know, we're professionals and we work hard and we're working families and we want to hear um, what, you, what you have in store for us. Right. And the fact that you're just a Democrat and this other person is a Republican is no reason for us not to vote for that person, right? Right. Um, or come out to vote, period. Because if we don't like either one of you, people will just stay home. Yeah, they'll be like, ah, I don't want to. <laughs> that, that's right. And so I think, you know, I, I've, I've warned white Democrats across the state of New York various times that you cannot continue uh, to take black and Latino voters for granted. And, um, and I think that that was part of the dynamic early in um, the governor's administration. I've said that to her directly. I've said that to her staff. And I think that you saw that in the outcome of, of the election. And right. hopefully she will have learned her lesson and she'll do a better job at engaging these communities early on before she has a challenger for her reelection. You know, another major thing, and I know this is this is something that you are uh, definitely a proponent of, is talking about what can we do for uh, the climate, right? Mm -hmm. To make sure that as the climate is changing as it has been, some people will deny it and act like it's not because of man. Um, but what are some initiatives here in New York? Because I know, like, for instance, I'm working on my house and I have solar panels, but that's not a cheap thing, right? you know, to be able to install and to make sure that even like I live in a landmark area. So you have to make sure when you install it, you can't see it from the street. And right. there's like a lot of different rules and regulations. Mm -hmm. um, so what are some things that are being done to make sure that people have incentives financially to even want to make sure that they're going green? Yeah. First of all, climate change is real. Yeah. And this is going to be a real problem. Um, it for, already is. Yeah, we for, see it. Yeah, they say uh, Manhattan's sinking. Right. Well, we're getting, you know, the, the bigger problem is we're getting 200-year storms every other mm -hmm. year now. And so that's going to be a, a real problem. We last, had our first snowstorm in like two years. Right. Yeah. And last summer was the hottest summer on, on record, record, period, mm -hmm. right? And so we're really going to have to you know, address this issue. And it really needs to be, it's a global problem, right? And so we're not going to re resolve yeah. it. It, it can't in just whole be us in New York. By, on our own. Right. And so what we're hoping is to provide some leadership and some examples and get ahead of the curve so that other states will get involved and eventually the United States will have the kind of leadership that it needs in order to address this and create multinational compacts mm -hmm. around the climate goals, including getting rid of methane and CO2. That being said is that about four years, five years ago, we passed something in the state of New York called the CLCPA, the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act, which is the most ambitious climate you know, goals in the entire country. And that's us getting to what we call net zero in emissions by 2050. Mm -hmm. And there's some intermediary goals in between that, but 2050 is the big goal, Okay, right? And so um, right now we're, we've already passed that law. And so now everything else that we're doing 
is to implement is, is to implement that. What's up? It's Angela Yee. And if you know me, you know I have several businesses. Well, one of them had closed down for a little while, but we just reopened it. And that is my juice bar. It's called Nourish Spot BK. And as soon as we reopened, we were really on the clock to find people who can make juices, sandwiches, acai bowls. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. It's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. So what's the best way to do that? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash way up. Maybe you see the perfect candidate. Well, ZipRecruiter's invite to apply feature lets you cut the line. You can invite your top choices to apply and you can even encourage them to apply sooner. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash way up. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash way up. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. One of the most important things is having our voices represent us. And that's why black representation in media means so much to me and also to the black community. When things happen with current events and entertainment and politics, it is so important that we are speaking for ourselves and not have other people place a narrative on us and who we are and to tell those stories from our point of view. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective. From Bobby Schmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, a daily podcast from Hello Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Every weekday, we bring you conversations with the culture makers who inspire us. Like a recent episode with Hollywood royalty Regina and Raina King. We talked about the creative power of women's relationships. I feel like, thank God for women, like, especially when it comes to Black women. The way we lean on our mothers, our grandmothers, our sisters, our friends. We're just each other's pulse. I mean, it's molecular, you know? Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Including a uh, law I also passed um, adjacent to the CLCPA, there's an environmental justice review panel to make sure that as we go into this clean energy transition, mm -hmm. that we are doing it in a way that's equitable, particularly for black and Latino communities, for right. low income New Yorkers, for women. And so we have a panel that's developed to do that. Um, as the chairman of the Energy and Telecommunications Committee, I have been the sharp end of the sword for you know all this time on the issue of, of the clean energy economy and transitioning our, our community. So 
right now it's about getting projects in the ground that will help create um, clean electrons. We're going to use less energy by using more electricity. Mm -hmm. And so electrifying the grid is going to be really, really important. Um, micro solutions like the one you're doing in your home is, is, is critical. Right. We also need to retrofit our houses. There's an old state, so you have old buildings, and so you have to close them up. The average home has the equivalent of an open window in it. And so mm -hmm. you really need to get people in there um, to help you seal the, the house up so that your cool air stays in the house in the summer and in the warm air in the winter also stays in the house. So are there programs for that and incentives? Because like I said, it's expensive. I'm not going to lie. I was like, ooh, should I? <laughs> I mean, I really wanted to, you know, make sure I had that. Let, and let, let me just say this, Angela. Mm -hmm. It's not tricking if you got it. So you are right. But for <laughs> but everybody saying, else. I'm, yeah, I'm saying for me, even if I was a little hesitant, but it, it was important to me to make sure right. that I'm doing my part. But for people who are like, well, well I don't have $12,000 yeah. to yeah. get, you I'm, know. I'm glad, I'm glad you asked that question. There are. There's an agency in the state of New York called NYSERDA, mm -hmm. the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority. And they actually have a ton of programs for individual homes, for multi you know, dwelling units, mm -hmm. um, for landlords, for commercial buildings, things that will, you can get an energy auditor to come in. They will do a whole energy audit of your house, give you a set of recommendations. You can pick from a menu of the recommendations. I've had it done in my, my own home. Okay. And they'll help supplement um, your transition, whether you go from, you know, gas or oil to heat pumps, mm -hmm. or whether you want to get solar on your home or whether you just want to change Sometimes the windows. Sometimes new windows, yeah. Yep. And windows are expensive. They I'm are. not going to lie. They that are. was especially if you live in a landmark place where you have yeah. to get specific. Yeah. We have we have three or four different weatherization programs mm -hmm. in the state of New York. Um some of them are in uh NYSERDA, as I indicated. Some of them are in the agency called ACR, which is Homes and Community Ren um, Ren Renewal. Um ACR has a number of of programs as well that will help you weatherize your home. And so people also can reach out to their local elected officials if they want to do that. People can please feel free to reach out to me. Okay. Um, in my office, you can you find me. Him. Yeah, you can find me on uh, <laughs> social media at Kevin Parker NYC. Um, but you know they can reach out to me at uh, Parker at Senate, NY Senate. Gov. And he is around, let me tell you. And let me ask you this, too, because it is Black History Month, mm -hmm. and we have some of the most, like, amazing, uh, you know, senators, I feel like, in New York. You know, between Congresswoman Yvette Clark, yes. between uh, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, yes. yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, I want you to discuss just the diversity that we yeah. have now when it comes to leadership. Well, some of you think you don't even know about me that I'm actually an Africana Studies professor. So in my other life, I've been teaching at CUNY for actually almost 30 years okay. uh, in the Africana Studies Department and the Political Science Department. At Brooklyn, secret, secret yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. At Brooklyn College, <laughs> Mega Evers. I taught at John Jay, um, Baruch, you know, um, City College. Um, and I recently just published an op-ed um, calling New York the new Wakanda, mm -hmm. right? Where I talk about the fact that we actually have more black leadership in the state of New York than we've ever had in the history of the United States, right? So first of all, you know, we have a black lieutenant governor mm -hmm. in Antonio, Antonio Delgado. Yep. Um, a black attorney general and Tish James, mm -hmm. right? The leaders of both houses of the state legislature, you have Carl Hasty from the that Northeast Bronx. That is my Bronx. guy right there, yep. Carl Hasty uh -huh. from the Bronx. And then uh, Andrea Stewart Cousins, who originally <laughs> from the Bronx but now lives in Yonkers, is the is my leader in 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 the in the, the, the leadership of the Democratic Senate, uh, the majority leader and the president pro tem. Um, you have the, actually the chief judge. This is a new thing, and the chief judge is a, is a gentleman named Rohan Wilson. Mm -hmm. Uh, who's the chief judge of the appeals court 
uh, in the state of New York, right? Wow. He, was, he was African-American. In the state assembly under Car Hasty, you have Crystal People Stokes, who is from Buffalo, who is the majority leader. So she's the second in command mm-hmm. um, of, of the state assembly. Um, the, the majority whip, who's kind of like the fourth in command in both houses, uh, both African-American, myself, and then Rodney Spashat, uh, Hermeline, uh, who's also from Brooklyn. Uh, you look at the city council and you have Adrian Adams, who's the speaker of the city council, first mm-hmm. black woman to ever be speaker of the city council, a black mayor. And of course, and Eric Adams, you have the second in command in the city, Jamani Williams, who's yep. the public advocate. Um, you have two of the borough presidents. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not uh, a game here in New York. Yeah. Vanessa Gibson and <laughs> and um, and in Queens, um, Richards, Donovan Richards okay. um, is the borough president. You have two black DAs yeah, out of the five. Alvin Bragg, Alvin Bragg in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And then you have Dalsar Clark Darcel Clark in the Bronx. Right. Right. And so you have, you know, big leadership. But I think black women leading in a in a in a major way, um, with Vanessa Gibson and Darcel Clark both in the Bronx. Uh and so and, and in, in Brooklyn we have I'm gonna give my honorable honorable mention because <laughs> oh you know he's Puerto Rican. He he's still a brother. Uh, Eric Gonzalez uh, is my guy. He gets a um, nod. Yeah, he gets a nod. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so, and then, and then in the state legislature, <laughs> we have a Black Puerto Rican, Hispanic, and Asian caucus, mm-hmm. which has almost sixty members in it, which is the largest has ever been. Right, and right? this is all representative, and this is what it should be of the people who make up, right. you know, who you govern. Last point: we have more Black women elected to the state legislature than any other state legislature in the history of the United States. That's in amazing. This very moment in New York, that is incredible. Yeah. You know, I gotta ask you: what made you decide mm-hmm. twenty-one years ago? <laughs> That you wanted to be a senator. Well, it started actually before then. I actually grew up in public housing, right? Mm-hmm. So I actually grew up the first 10 years of my life in the Bushwick houses. And okay. I used to get bused to school. And my mother told, used to tell the story that um, when I was like seven or eight years old, she picks me up from school one day and I, and she, and I tell her that I want to be president of the United States <laughs> because I want to change the way that black people live. Most of my family lived in various public housing across um, across the city. My grandmother most notably lived in Kings Walk in Brooklyn. And so... You know, it kind of was always a thing that I just had in my mind. My, my, I told my mother I wanted to be president. She says I probably need to be a lawyer right. because most presidents are lawyers. Thinking that minimal should get a lawyer out of the deal. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so I never went to law school, <laughs> but I always kind of had this idea that I wanted to be elected. Went to Penn State University, got a degree in public policy, got a master's degree in urban policy and management from the New School for Social Research. Mm-hmm. Um, was a New York City Urban Fellow. Worked for a woman named Ruth Messenger when she was the Manhattan Borough President. Worked on Una Clark's first campaign. Una yeah. Clark oh, is is right, you know, Clark's right. mom. Yeah. Yep. 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 So Mama Una, um, and worked for Nick Perry, who is a former assemblyman, who is now the U.S. ambassador to Jamaica. Uh, worked for him for a little while, um, and so it kind of came so up the ranks. So you put your work in before that. Let's, Look, yeah. work like a slave to become the master, <laughs> and so um, you know it was just kind of a natural transition. Also in my community, all the things that I'm telling you that that we should do in our communities, mm-hmm. I did. Um, I served on community board 17. I was a member of the, of the uh, 67th Precinct Council in my community. I was on the board of NHS of, of Brooklyn. I was on the board of Nazareth Regional High School right. for a number of years. <laughs> and so the, the combination of my policy interests and my activism in the community gave me an opportunity to elevate my service. And I ran for the city council in uh, 2000. And actually, the election day was actually line 11. Oh, wow. And they had to reschedule it. To, oh, my goodness. They rescheduled it for two weeks later to September 25th. Um, the election didn't quite go the way I hoped. Mm-hmm. But then, you know. You but know, that was a really unique situation. It was. It was. But, you know, it's, it's all in God's plan because they redistricted in 2000 also. They drew a brand new uh, 
state senate district. Mm-hmm. The state senate at that time went from 61 members to 62 members. My district was the 62nd district. I lived there. People said, you know, you ran a great race for city council. You should run for senate. And I got everybody who didn't support me for the city council who supported me. You know, that's for the, important. For the Senate. I always feel like this is so true. When people run for office, even if you don't necessarily win your first election, that is a great setup to uh, keep pushing forward that's and right. do what's coming next. Because right. sometimes people feel like, oh, I lost. You know, that's the end of it. But sometimes there's a bigger purpose, that's too. Right. That's right. Sometimes a setback is a setup for a comeback. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for me, it definitely was. And uh, so I've had the honor of representing. Uh, the 21st district for 21 years in some, you know, kind of formation or or, or another. When people feel like there should be term limits, what are your thoughts about that? Mm-hmm. Sometimes people are like, oh, well, this person's been here for so long. And I know whenever I see people running in against somebody who's the incumbent, they always use that as part of the reason why they feel like you should vote for me. This person's been in this position. You need some fresh new blood. Three quick points. Um, term limits are lazy democracy. It throws the baby out with the bathwater. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you also, when you have a body in which most of the body is not is majority majority or majority white, the only way for black leadership to rise is through seniority. So if you get rid of term limits, you also get rid of seniority. So if you look at somebody like Carl Hasty or somebody like Andre Stewart Cousins, they've been able, or Adrian Adams, they've been able to raise their their leadership to that point because they have seniority. Right. Because mm-hmm. everybody, if you're just throwing out the baby with the bathwater, you don't have seniority. And then if it's just purely a numbers game, right. it's going to be difficult to get black and Latino leadership in those positions because you will always wind up typically with white guys. Right. And so people have to be careful with that. The other part is that you also make the staff stronger than the members and the staff are not elected with all due respect to the staff. Many of them are very good and dedicated public servants. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have a staff member who's been there 10 years and you only have a member who's been there three, they're going to be leaning on the staff. And right. oftentimes you can get outcomes that you don't anticipate. And so you, know, you have term limits in a way. Right, you have an election. I've come up for re-election every right. two years. You have to still deliver. And I, I still, still have to deliver. And, and, for... people, and people have an opportunity if they don't like my leadership to reject it and, and pick somebody else. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you since we talked about um, how hard that would be for Black and Latino people if you were going to have term limits. Do you think that our mayor Eric Adams? There's a, a lot of racism involved with how people are trying to portray him and his leadership in the position that he's in. Because I've heard people say that um, he gets a lot, a lot mm-hmm. of crit- I feel like more than most mayors I can think of mm-hmm. in my lifetime. Absolutely. Um, they did it to David Dinkins mm-hmm. um, and they're now you know, doing it to the mayor as well. Um, when you look at what he's done in the last two years uh, to the city, it's been absolutely you know, transformational. Uh, again, we can look at crime. We can look at the number of people with mental health and homeless on the street and, and how that's been transformed. If you look at the economy, if you look at gun violence that is down in places like um, Brownsville, literally 70 percent is mm-hmm. down 70 percent. Right. And so, um, again, the work is not done and there's still lots to be, to be done. But the city is not where it was two years ago. Thank God. And because a lot because of, of the leadership of Eric Adams, our mayor. You know, because you've had to go through a lot of different leadership when it comes to the mayors. Yes, yes, yes. I've, I've, I've served. This is my, my fifth mayor. Wow. And I think five or six governors. Hey, fam. I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, a daily podcast from Hello Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Every weekday, we bring you conversations with the culture makers who inspire us. Like a recent episode with Hollywood royalty Regina and Raina King. We talked about the creative power of women's relationships. 
I feel like, thank God for women. Like, especially when it comes to Black women, the way we lean on our mothers, our grandmothers, our sisters, our friends, we're just each other's pulse. I mean, it's molecular, you know? Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. You have a favorite? A favorite, a favorite mayor, Eric. Mayor. Yeah, <laughs> like, who's the current mayor, Eric? Yeah. No, but also, I, I, obviously, I know Eric really well. We sat next to each other in the state, in the Florida State Senate. Some people have seen this picture of it's been going around of, of at one point saying that these were Trayvon Trayvon Martin's lawyers, but it was actually in the state Senate. It was me, Eric, and um, Bill Perkins, um, and God rest his soul. But um, that was in that was in the state Senate uh, a number of years ago. So. Um, you know, we work very closely. We continue to work closely. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of issues that the city's dealing with also come up to the state. If you look at things like mayoral control, um, if you look at, like, you know, community hiring, which was a bill I worked on with the city of New York last year that mm-hmm. we made a uh, law that really gives a preference uh, to contractors who are hiring directly from our communities to right. get city contracts. Um, if, you know, if you look at the even the, the migrant crisis, that is something that has been a city and state um, partnership and something that we're going to have to figure out together. And so we continue to work together. I continue to be very proud of what he does um, and think that he's working hard and agree with you that he's certainly not getting 
um, the kind of you know honeymoon that that uh, Michael Bloomberg, for instance, had for right. four years. Right. right. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, being a white billionaire has its privileges. And you know, also, I think he gets a lot of criticism because of his, his relationship with the police department. Mm-hmm. And people will be like, "Oh, well, he's a cop." And I saw recently with the How Many Stops Act that was something that was overruled. That um, that you know, and I want you to explain that because mm-hmm. sometimes things happen in government, and when you read about it in the media it may be different than what the actual, what was behind um, that is. But it, it does feel like some there are disagreements, and that's what the system is set up for. If we don't agree with what one person is saying, then we have the right to overrule that. But I want to hear your thoughts on yeah. that. Well, first of all, I'm a leader in the state on the issue of police accountability, mm-hmm. right? Um, after the murder of George Floyd, the state of New York was the first state in the entire country to pass a set of reforms around around policing. Um, and we passed a, a set of bills that were about 10 bills, four of them were mine, two others were, were issues that I actually began to work on. And so um, including, you know, the right, you know, reaffirming the right to record police, right, and making sure that we have body cameras on state police, mm-hmm. right, with some of the things that we I helped make law. Um, I believe that we need to have a police department that serves and protects but does it with dignity and respect. And I think the mayor believes that as well. And so this notion that we're going to have abolitionism or, you know, not have a police force, I think is just, you know, absurd. But um, we do need to have a, I think we simultaneously need to have a police force that, again, respects the communities. Um, I have a, some legislation that hopefully will pass at some point that requires, it creates a, a residency requirement mm-hmm. um, for police officers. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that we did was actually. You know, that's interesting that you say that. I just mm-hmm. want to cut you off there because mm-hmm. somebody I know is a sergeant and he was telling me that he doesn't want to live where he works because he doesn't want certain things could happen if they know where he lives. Right. Um, that's difficult for him to be able to do his job effectively and have to worry about somebody being mad or wanting to take revenge. Right. But he can live in Brooklyn and work in the Bronx. Right? Okay. Okay. So, so, right? so, right? I so thought just, you meant you have to live. No. In no. No. The, okay. No. But but you have to you know live in the in city in the city. city of New York. Right. We also need to do a better job at not alienate the job as police and really recruit from our own communities to yeah. make sure that black, Latinos, Asians, and women are part of the, of our police department. Because again, you get different outcomes when you're policing yourselves, as opposed to now, which what we're signing up for is an invading force of white guys from Jersey policing us. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, so I, I think that um, the mayor understands that we need a strong police force. If you actually look over the last number of years, we've had less incidences of abuse by police, mm-hmm. in part because we've passed those those reforms. We also have people like Eric Gonzalez and Darcel Clark and Alvin Bragg who have shown that they are willing to prosecute police when they, in fact, cross the line. Mm-hmm. And I think that has made a difference in um, the way police... Uh, police Do you think police should have to document every time they stop someone? I think that the law that the city council passed um, makes sense. Um, I think that it was more of a of a process issue between the 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 city council and and the mayor. It is now going to be the the law of the city, being that the city council overrode the the mayor's veto. Mm-hmm. Um, again, these these issues are very very difficult to kind of work out. We certainly don't want to impede police officers' ability to do their job, um, but we simultaneously need to make sure that there's enough accountability that we don't have abuses in the system. You know, one thing I um, also want to make sure we talk about, because this is supposedly happening soon, Mm -hmm. this congestion pricing. Yeah, so it's not congestion pricing. It's not. So what is it? So it's the transit mobility plan. Okay, And I'm going to make this point, because I argue with everybody about this, (laughs) right? Because I'm literally the person who who fought with, with Governor Cuomo to get rid of the name congestion pricing. Mm -hmm. Congestion pricing really 
tells us that once we do this plan, that there's going to be less congestion in the city. And now, that's what's, a, it called? what's it that's called again? The Transit Mobility Plan. Okay. Okay, so what happened <laughs> about five, five years ago, six years ago, is that we had a study and it said essentially that we needed $40 billion in order to create improvements on the MTA system in order to make it more effective and efficient and cleaner, safer, mm-hmm. right? $40 billion. So we needed a money grab. And so they went to this plan to do it. And so this plan literally is to get us about 29. We actually don't even get to the whole 40 billion. We only get to about 29 billion using the plan. And that 40, that 29 billion is for the MTA to do these upgrades that would create efficiencies and create capacity, make it cleaner, make it safer, all the things, mm-hmm. right? The reason why I'm, I'm arguing that it's not a congestion pricing plan is because nothing about the plan actually stops cars from coming in the city that are the ones that are creating the congestion. In other words, there are four categories of vehicles that come into Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you the, 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 the list of the, of the vehicles by volume. So the first volume are, are, are yellow cabs and, share, and ride shares. Okay. Right? The second is black cars. The mm-hmm. third are trucks. The fourth are residential vehicles. Okay. Right? Residential vehicles are the least number of, of vehicles coming into the city. Right. They're the only ones that have an economic disincentive of not to come into the city because yellow car, yellow cabs and ride shares are going to pass the cost on to the rider. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you get in an yeah. Uber, they're going to pass the cost on to you. Right. Right. If you're in a black car, same thing. They're going to pass the, the ride on to the rich people who ride around in black cars. <laughs> right. Also you. Not me. And then the third. <laughs> you she knows, say, you she know knows how cheap, for you. No, you don't know how cheap I am, but go ahead. <laughs> and then. And then there are trucks, and then there's trucks. I'll that wait are coming an extra in. 15 minutes to I'll save you. 80 cents. I feel you. Okay. <laughs> you like me, you got more time <laughs> than money. I'll be like, I'll take that 15 minute wait time. Right, right. <laughs> and then you have trucks, which also, again, will pass the cost of their, of their deliveries onto right. whoever the customer is. So there's no economic incentive for any of them not to come into the zone. Uh-huh. So they'll still be coming to the zone. So what is, is the, the, the lack, what's so the congestion coming? it's still going to be congested. It's still going to be congested. Because that's how they did studies. Everybody talks about London. They do it in the UK. Yeah, yeah, and they're yeah, like, yeah. it's not the, that effective. It, 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 in London, it's a different dynamic. And I'll tell you one of the biggest deals. Have you been, have you been to London? Downtown. If you live If you live downtown, nobody lives downtown London. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They don't. Right, people right. live. People live downtown Manhattan. So we talk about this whole area between 86th Street and and mm-hmm. people live downtown. Right. People live like a block away from the stock market. <laughs> right. And so nobody like. What about those people? Those people still have to move around. Yeah. So nobody's going to stop coming to Manhattan because. But they it's going to make it more difficult for people who do have to like. And we're gonna. It's a middle. Ta- it's a middle class tax. Yeah. That, I mean, it is what it is. Right. And and. Unfortunately, they, they, they're trying to brand it in a way that makes it seem like there's, a, there's another good that comes out of it. But this really was a money grab in order for us to get that, you know, $29 billion in order to put to MTA to make it safer. Now, in theory, and this was prior to COVID, in theory, having a better, more efficient, safer, cleaner subway system would encourage people to be on the subway. Mm-hmm. But that, again, that was pre-COVID. Right. We'll see what happens, you know, once we actually start. So um, is this really getting it. implemented, like, in the it next? It is. Okay. Well, again, we have some we have some legal challenges that have to be be uh, done first, but they, they're already putting up the infrastructure. Huh. What if you try to, like, because, you know, I'm already thinking of ways around it. Like, uh-huh. say I, I drive in, but I park right before it starts. Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, if, so if you, that's going to create a lot of issues in those neighborhoods. Correct. Yeah. Correct. But it won't be. It's not. It's not going to create that much of a problem because there's no place to park in, in Manhattan anywhere. Right. You, you have to park in a lot. Right. 
Okay. They're going to one of them city bikes. Because <laughs> I'm wondering how it's going to affect businesses also and parking lots like in Midtown if people are trying not to, you know, drive in. Again, those are only residential cars. But those are normally the people who park in the lots in, in, in the lots. city. Yeah, but they'll, 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 they'll do fine. Okay. Like I have so many things because this is all personal. Go ahead. Right? I'm, I'm, I, with, I'm here I for I think it. about all of these things as a person who is from New York, who lives right. in New York. Um, now, one thing um, I want to say has been I see some some great movement on is small businesses mm-hmm. in New York and things that you guys have been doing to make sure that we're able to get the resources that we need. I just right. reopened my juice bar, uh-huh. um, the Nourish Spot BK with Don Kelly. So shout out to Don Kelly. She has a Nourish Spot in Queens. And just last week we reopened yep. um, where I used to have my juice bar. Now we have one together. Yep, I just met Don. Oh, you did? Yep. Good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we've been, we had to work really hard to get everything, like all of the, um, everything done that we needed to get the inspections right. to mm-hmm. make sure that we pass. And they definitely worked with us to get that done um so i just want to talk about small businesses because that is kind of the heart of new york and what drives the economy that kind of kind of is is the heart mm-hmm. i mean this city is is a city of small businesses right everywhere you go um you know people a lot of times who don't live in new york think of new york as manhattan but that's not where people live right. people work here and do business here in, Ma- in the midtown manhattan but people live in brooklyn and queens in the bronx right mm-hmm. and a little bit in staten island we ain't gonna leave them out <laughs> well, don't hit the staten island <laughs> <laughs> And so when you talk about small businesses, they literally are the heart and soul of our communities because that's literally where we're spending the vast majority of our money and our time. And so you have a lot of organizations like the Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce, mm-hmm. um, you know. Who, they came out for yes, our, our opening. Thank know, you so much to Brooklyn Chamber yep, of yep. Commerce. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, organizations like that and and. Also, the, the, the New York City Small Business Administration mm-hmm. uh, under Commissioner Kevin Kim, Yay, who's Kim. been working really, really hard. Thank you, Commissioner uh, Kim. To making sure that, that people have access to the resource. And then we're speeding up the process. Right. A lot of the, the burden on small business has been an administrative one. And I think that the Adams administration, um, led by Commissioner uh, Kim, has really spent a lot of time and a lot of effort and has been intentional about trying to cut the red tape and create, you know, um, uh, opportunities for small businesses to thrive. Yeah, because we get really nervous when it's time for a surprise inspection. Yes. And so it's fortunate now, because sometimes it's a little thing that can right. lower your grade, but they give you some time now right. to fix whatever it is, you know, minor things so that you can actually not work. Because right. I know I see that B or that C in the window, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I can right. go in here. But right. it could be something really, right. you know, uh, minis- like minor that could be causing that grade to happen. Right. And that does affect a business. It does. It does. Um, and then also a lot of businesses also are not getting the kind of help that they need around getting contracting, right? Mm-hmm. So you, yours is more of a retail business, but there are a lot of small businesses that have access to contracting. And the Women and Minority Business Enterprise Program yes. has been a, another success that we see. Um, both on the state level, but also on the city level um, with the mayor. In fact, I went to an event last week where him and uh, my good friend Mike Gardner, um, you know, who used to be at the MTA, mm-hmm. now is the diversity czar in the city and has really been. I just met him, too. Yeah, my but, mom was like, Mike Gardner's going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> so my mom works for right. New York City Transit. Right. Yeah. yeah. So they know each other um, yeah. <laughs> from, from, from there. Right. And so, um, you know, Mike Gardner has really, really done a yeoman's job at you know, raising the stakes, making sure that the different agencies in the city work collaboratively and create synergy around getting access um, for more contracts for NWBEs. And the um, and literally, I think that number is like something like six, something like $6 billion in contracting that they've done That's just great. to women and minorities. That can help a business go from about to shut down to thriving. But, but more importantly, when you put black women like yourselves and Dawn into business, 
you hire other black women yes, in the community. Absolutely. And so and so I'm less concerned and I think they're less concerned with petty bourgeois capitalism and about whether you can afford a black car or not and more about whether you know, that leads to full-time jobs with a living wage with benefits. Yeah, our, our manager's a black woman at the shop. Right, so, exactly. And we just reopened. And last thing I want to talk about is what are we doing about the education system and the youth in mm-hmm. New York? Because I feel like when we were younger, there were so many more programs mm-hmm. that were available as far as making sure that the kids in the summertime, you know, had jobs, had different things uh, going on and after-school programs and even the education system, nutrition, I feel like it's something that's not discussed enough in schools. I always felt like that was, and you know, maybe I'm biased because of the juice bar that I have, but I think about the meals that kids have in school sometimes right. and how that can affect their attention span, their energy, their, you know, their weight mm-hmm. even, and their Absolutely. healthy. Yeah. So I want to talk about um, some things that are being done in the schools. I always hear, oh, they cut the budgets in the education system in New York. Mm-hmm. But I, look, I read things and it, depending on where you read things, you don't know what's true and what's not. So I want to get it straight. Yeah. So initially in the, in the mayor's um, budget, there was a cut that he's now reversed on. Um, but people should know that in the state of New York, we spend more money per pupil than any other state in the history of the United States. So we're spending more money than anybody else per pupil um, mm-hmm. on education. When you look at the $229 billion budget that I talked about earlier for 23-24, um, the, the largest expense is education, right? We spend almost $46 billion um, on education, mm-hmm. right? So money is there. The question is how do you spend it? Mm-hmm. And I think under the leadership of Mayor Adams, and Chancellor um, David Banks that we're seeing a transition um, in in what's happening in schools. Um, One of the big pushes that we are seeing from the state legislature has been an insistence on smaller class sizes, and so we continue to work on that. We think that that's going to have a Mm -hmm. big um, impact on on learning outcomes um, for young people. Um, and I'm a big proponent, um, having grown up in, in New York City public schools myself, went to PS193, mm-hmm. with the Honey Junior High School, with the Midwood High School, with Hakeem Jeffries, mm-hmm. uh, and City Councilwoman Farrah uh, Lewis. Um, you know, myself understanding how important, you know, music, art, athletics, and dance were as, re- as regular parts of the curriculum. School-based athletics, I was, you know, on the track team. Okay. I was on the football team. I was on the handball team, right? And I was <laughs> Do they still have a the handball band. team? At, at, at Midwood? Yeah. I don't know. I got to check. I need to go there and, and, ch- and challenge some of those kids. I, you know, I think I still got it. So I'm just I, I saying. Because I don't see the handball in the double dutch anymore. No, no, no. <laughs> but I, they may still have a handball team. I know that, I know there was a you court there. You think they still got it? I doubt it, but <laughs> people don't, young people are not really playing handball the way they used to. You remember to? handball? They used to do suicide when um, you got the ball yeah. and you threw it in as hard as you could at somebody against the wall. <laughs> Man, listen, we might have to bring back some handball games. <laughs> exactly, but now that we have universal, now that we have universal pre-K, mm-hmm. the next step is actually to go to universal after school. Okay, every single school building in the state of New York really should have an after school program, and I've really been have been proposing for a long time a split between the various municipalities, particularly New York City and the state state should be paying to keep those buildings open maintenance security and then the city should be giving out contracts with local nonprofits to run that would be amazing to run those programs that's a win for but, everybody but every single school should have one yeah. right and given you know again you understand how expensive um real estate prices are and so mm-hmm. you can't afford to, to build 50 million centers right. but you have these buildings that, that run fallow from 3 p.m to mm-hmm. 7 a.m the next day we should be using them in the evening and and really i say a beacon school model the community school model is cute, but the Beacon School model I like is comes out of Jeff Canada, who does 
Harlem Children's Zone. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the Beacon School model uses the building not just for young people to have homework help and karate and basketball and step team, mm-hmm. but you also do programs for adults as well. Maybe English as a second language. Right. Maybe Al-Anon. Maybe job training. Right. Mm-hmm. All the things that you know. Maybe you know resume writing. But you could use it um, for you can you know you can do. You know the the training that people need OSHA training, right? And you if people need training things. in AI right now, they need for all they need, they need training in all the things, yes, right? Because artificial intelligence. Right. Do you guys? So let me ask you your thoughts on okay. that because that's been a huge conversation, and yeah. you are the uh, chairman of committee on here, energy here and telecommunications. Go. So when it comes to artificial intelligence, making sure that we're also prepared for what's going to happen because it is happening, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what. So making sure that we're actually going to be able to be employed and have jobs where we're trained in being able to be on the side of using AI efficiently and to help businesses and making sure that, you know, we're not just left in the dark because we're scared of it. Right. There's two things that have to happen. Mm -hmm. And one we're considering in the state legislature, a privacy bill. And hopefully we'll get that resolved, I I hope, in in the budget. But we need that. There's a privacy bill. It's actually based on the California model. Will we make sure that we're protecting people and their privacy? I think beyond that, we also have to make sure that we're dealing with things like deep fakes, especially mm-hmm. in, 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 during Ooh. the campaign season. Listen, I've, right? I've gotten some of those I'm, calls. I'm sure. And I'm I sure. realized it was fake because the voice kept re-saying the same things and right. then tried to, yeah, okay. Now, what if somebody, I mean, what if somebody, I mean, you're very protective as you should be about your brand. Mm-hmm. Now, somebody with this AI can take Angela Yee's voice right. and, you know, endorse a candidate or endorse a product without you knowing or, to, or to, uh, without your permission. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and so we have to create a balance between protecting people and then simultaneously having a market open enough for people to, to create commerce and, and make our, our lives and, and the work that we do more efficient and better. And so we're trying to figure out where that balance is. It's a very new technology. And yes, so we don't have, have a lot of people who know it. Yeah, so we're just trying to figure <laughs> all those things out. In fact, that's where I met Dawn at, where there was some small pe- small business folks who were concerned about the bill that we're, that we're looking at and making sure that small businesses are not adversely affected by that legislation um, because of you know unforeseen um, consequences. So we're facilitating some conversations in Albany uh, to make sure that small businesses are heard. And so we understand where their perspectives are and and how do we draw the line um, between protecting small businesses and also protecting consumers? You know, and you're over two decades of the work that you do. When you look at 2024, what do you feel like are the most cha- are the three most challenging things mm-hmm. that are happening in New York right mm-hmm. now in your um, district? Yeah, first of all, the migrant crisis is affecting every single district, and I think that it's uh, you know coming to a head in my district in a lot of different ways. Uh, Floyd Bennett Field is literally right outside, so that's been a, a place that they've been housing people. And so how we um, navigate and negotiate taking care of these human lives mm-hmm. and, and putting them on a, on a, um, a, uh, a path of self-sufficiency is going to be absolutely critical. Um, I think the second thing is climate change. Again, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's, it's, it's such a big, big issue. Right. Um, but it's also an opportunity because there's a lot of money is going to be made um, developing solutions. Right. Uh, for That's that. what I was just saying the other day. Whoever is um, like making the charging stations for electric yes. vehicles, we need so many more yes. of those. People want them like near their homes because that's the one thing about that's getting right. a car. You want to make sure you're able to find some place yeah. to charge yeah, it. Yeah, range overnight. anxiety mm-hmm. is, is, a, is a huge issue. But also not just the those charging stations, but those charging stations are machines. They're going to break. Mm-hmm. And so the question is who's, who's fixing fix them, them? Yeah. right? And so getting people trained up and doing the, the, rate, the maintenance repair and installation of those charging stations is also is going to be a big I'm opportunity. I'm ready to start a business. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And then, and then the third thing is the affordability gap. We have a huge affordability crisis 
um, you know, we can't even afford to eat eggs anymore. Right. You know, um, almost everything, you know, uh, as DJ Red Alert says, the cost of living is going up and the chance of living is going down. And so we have to kind of address that cost of living. Uh, piece and we see people leaving New York. You we, know. we do. We do. I know in my committee, in the Energy and Telecom Committee, we've actually passed a set of recommendations to the committee. And last year, we actually passed the whole package out of the Senate. We're hoping the Assembly joins us this year that lower um, utility costs. Um, everybody's utility costs are going up. Um, everything, you know, from gas, electric, water, cable, mm-hmm. phone bills are all going up. Um, you know, everybody got off of, you know, everybody got on cable, then everybody got off cable to go streaming and now streaming is going up. Right. It's like, you know, trying to figure out how do we um, create a dynamic where people can, uh, can um, you know, make money and then hold on to their money uh, so that they can do the things they really want in terms of, you know, raising their, their children and making their lives better. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming through and having this uh, great conversation. Oh, thank you. I, I feel like there's so many things we could touch on, but I know you'll be back. Look, inshallah, whenever you invite me. (laughs) All right, well, I appreciate you, Senator Kevin Parker. How can people find you again if they want to ask you Mm -hmm. any questions directly? Yeah. First of all, you can always call my office, Mm -hmm. 718-629-6401. Again, that's 718-629-6401. We got to make that like a jingle. Yes. (laughs) All right. (laughs) And you can always find me on social media at Kevin Parker NYC. Again, that's Kevin Parker NYC. And you can email me, parker at nysenate.gov. That's parker mm-hmm. at nysenate.gov. And we can show up at the office, too, you, right? Yeah, just pull up. You can. I've, I've seen people do that. Pull up. <laughs> pull up. I'm there. All right. Well, thank you so much, Senator Kevin Parker. No, thanks for having me. <laughs> Way up. Hey, it's Angela Yee from Way Up with Angela Yee. Imagine swapping your car keys for a chance to move your body, better mental health, connecting with your community, and creating memories without spending money. Join me and embrace nature's pace by taking a walk, hike, or a bike ride with Rails to Trails Conservancy, because our time on the trail is so much more than a day outside. Get ideas for getting outside at reelstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.